Welcome back to another episode of the Higher Love with Megan podcast, talking all things mind, body, soul, healing and expansion with me, your host, Megan Cooper. This podcast seeks out wisdom for how to live better, to nourish our bodies, liberate our minds, open our hearts and nourish our souls so that we can expand into our fullest expression and live with love, vitality and freedom. It's episode 28 and we welcome back Sophia Tremonia period and women's coach, fertility awareness educator, and TEDx speaker. Sophia and I last got together on this podcast to record episode 22, Perfect Your Period. Sophia helps women and menstruators to experience happier, healthier periods, and is passionate about guiding women to unlock their power, potential, and productivity by aligning their life and business and careers with their menstrual cycles and coming home to their bodies. She also supports women to chart their cycle for contraception and conception by using the fertility awareness method. I thought this episode was a really important conversation to bring to the table, since I myself know so many women who have or still do struggle in the area of conception and pregnancy. It seems to be so widespread and part of me wonders what or if there is some way that we are collectively living our lives and experiencing the world that is contributing to these challenges, which is not said with any blame or shame or making wrong, but more so that we can gain deeper awareness, zoom out and look at what is working and what's not working and thus make empowered decisions for ourselves on what feels right and good for us. This conversation brings fertility, therefore, into a broader context, encompassing diet, lifestyle, the huge impact of stress, the nervous system, your emotional landscape, your mindset around getting pregnant, beliefs about yourself or your body that you might be unconsciously attached to, including also intergenerational beliefs or trauma around pregnancy or conceiving. This can be a very sensitive topic for a lot of women and couples, whether you are trying to get pregnant or not trying or thinking about trying or have been trying for a while. So please note that everything we discuss here is purely an invitation. It's not to make right or wrong. It's in no way meant to invalidate your experience. It's not to conflict with any medical advice that you've been given, but to work in conjunction, offering a well-rounded and holistic approach. I invite you to listen with a keen ear and an open heart, looking for nuggets of insight that feel right and best for you. As with all of these episodes, take what you like and leave the rest. If you haven't already listened, you might wish to go back to episode 22 to more deeply understand your cycle, which is supportive for you as a woman, whether you are trying to get pregnant or not. So let's dive in. Well, my love, it is great to have you back for this conversation. Obviously, the last episode we did was around periods and cycles. And then in this conversation, we're going to be building on that into the area of fertility. So it's great to have you back. So thank you for being here. Thank you for having me again. <laughs> okay, so as we enter into this conversation around fertility, what do you feel is the holistic framework that you have as a practitioner that might be different from what somebody might have heard in a purely clinical perspective that we can use for this conversation? 
Yeah, so for, I mean, for starters, there are different degrees of fertility. So, for example, uh, if you have been diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome, that is defined in clinical as subfertility. And so when people are often given that label, they think, oh, my goodness, I just can't get pregnant. And, you know, it's just going to be doom for me. And I hear this from so many women. I see it in but, you know, Facebook forums, I hear it in WhatsApp groups. And that is such a misconception because, you know, with subfertility, you can actually go on and get pregnant as well. Obviously, it might be a bit more difficult, but this is not your destiny. This is not to say that you can never have a baby. Um, there is also other... I mean, a lot of the times what I see is women being overdiagnosed with infertility. And sometimes it might be just because there's some underlying health issues. So as I said, it could be polycystic ovarian syndrome. It could be undiagnosed endometriosis, which is painful periods or actually all over the body. It could be as well, um, because that is often misdefined. Um, it could be so many different factors. It could be, for example, actually, maybe perhaps you're trying to get pregnant on the wrong day of your cycle because you've been told that, you know, the peak time is day 14 or perhaps you're using um, LH tests, which is the luteinizing hormone um, test, and you're relying on those tests. And we, we know actually through different research that actually the yellow test can sometimes tell you that you're at your peak of ovulation um, a day it could be a day too late as well which is huge if if we're looking at you know the time that you want to be making sure that when the egg is released it's being fertilized by the sperm and also it could also be your partner for example um perhaps that could be the reason why um so there's like the problem with this is that there's so many different diagnoses and from a holistic health I'm always looking at okay what is the root cause and actually can we fix it as well which can be overlooked by many clinical healthcare professionals mm. Mm. so I guess the difference that you have an approach to you know more of a clinical setting is really getting to the underlying root cause of why the issues are there and then treating that as well as the presenting issue itself. So it seems to me in my observation of society that menstrual, hormonal and fertility issues seem to be the new norm. It just seems to be really commonplace amongst a very high proportion of people. What collectively do you feel is going on here, if anything? Or do you think it's just that we're talking about it more or do you think that there are ways that we're living our lives collectively that is contributing to these issues? There are a number of factors, but I would say they are core factors. So, for example, the number of women, we were kind of during the time where, you know, hormonal birth control was prescribed to us and yeah, that helped with equal rights. But we're seeing the effect where it can take up to a year for it to come completely come out of our body um, and essentially what a hormonal birth control is is synthetic toxic chemicals so that can interfere and it actually stops ovulation so if we're trying to get pregnant straight after coming 
off hormonal birth control well it's not actually going to be that easy because you've got still hormones that are trying to prevent you from getting pregnant still the other thing i see is environmental toxins they're all around us actually it's increasing and it's actually so scary about the amount that is surrounding us so you know you've got pollution from the environment um such as you know cars you've got the chemicals that we can find in our bathroom and kitchen cleaning products we've also got as well um even toxins in our food as well more than ever our food is so processed and it's scary at how unregulated the food industry is and what is allowed to be put in there and even for example i live in australia and sometimes i see the government put this star rating on food and giving some food that is just absolutely full of preservatives as a five star so the top you can get whereas things like whole foods such as nuts are given a much lower rating and it just doesn't make sense um and then the other thing i see which i see across all of my clients is stress and overwhelm so we're working longer hours than our ancestors more than ever we are looking at technology as well because you know we're working on computer screens and so that blue emitting light is going to interfere with our 24 hour clock our circadian rhythm and we're also feeling very stressed and reactive to things around in our life so whether that's, for example, you know, social media, it can be very overwhelming and affect our mental health so much, or it could be our relationships or just the pressure we're getting from that work-life balance as well. I mean, if we look at what happened after COVID and lockdown, um, it really did make a lot of people think about that, the way they'd be living, because as women, we're taught to be in such this hustle mode all the time, which it's, it works for, I guess, the male 24 hours hormone. I say kind of because I know also a lot of men do suffer as well from this. But also it doesn't work for us where we're a very cyclical being. And, you know, some days in our menstrual cycle, we may be full of energy. And then there may be diet days where we are at our lowest energy ever. But yet we're expected to show up the same. And because of, you know, technology, the pressures from society, the pressures from work and which is all around us, that has, of course, has become very disconnected from our bodies and, mm. you know, relying on social media all the time or, you know, to be distracted by our mobiles or TV, then we're not tapping into ourselves or what we want, what we desire. And so we can't, we kind of numb ourselves from understanding it to know ourselves, whether that's responding to our energy levels and recognising where it is, or it's just being, you know, recognising what makes us happy. It, mm. it's that simple it's, it's the alignment it's being happy as well and if we don't recognize how stressed and overwhelmed we are because we think that's the standard we set in society then it's no wonder we don't recognize how how bad we you know we are experiencing it mm. yeah it's really interesting and can you speak a little bit to the causes of people struggling to get pregnant and I mean some of those might include and you've mentioned already you know, PCOS and endometriosis, but also speaking to perhaps the lesser known things of people who are not showing up as anything in inverted commas kind of wrong with their fertility and reasons therefore that might be a bit lesser known as to why people are struggling to get pregnant. Yeah, um, I mean, 
That's a really good question because a lot of women I know and a lot of my clients, they've been trying to do the IVF um, treatments and that's their go-to. And again, it goes back to actually not understanding what is really going on and understanding what the root cause is. So perhaps there is something underlying, perhaps, you know, their hormones may be affected because there may be some gut issues, which we know is mm. very strongly you know, connected with the hormones. It could be stress, as we said, perhaps they just can't can't retain you know perhaps they've got pregnant but they're not able to retain the pregnancy because because of stress we know that when we have really low progesterone which is the hormone that is released after we've ovulated and it's only produced after we've ovulated um then actually if we don't have enough of that then our body can't retain it because it's responsible for preparing the body to hold on to the egg and make sure that it's buried um so that's a huge one and one of the key things is if you've got very low progesterone, I can guarantee you it's down to stress, you know, 100% and dysregulated nervous system as well. Um, what what else um, could be underlying issues is, you know, a lot of the time, a lot of blame. And I, I use that loosely as well, because I don't think with fertility journeys, anyone should get the blame. But a lot of people take the blame um, when actually perhaps, you know, for example, when women are preparing for the IVF treatment or preparing for pregnancy, we only look at the woman or the person carrying the baby. We don't actually look at the sperm, the quality of the sperm, the diet of the of the male as well. And that's that plays a huge factor. If you think about it, it's like 50-50, really. You've both got um you've got both got a role in this. So it's important that, you know, when we're preparing for conception, we're looking at both. And it's as simple as, you know, trying to cut down on your processed food or remitting it, going for more whole foods foods movement every day it doesn't have to be higher intensive but intensive but making sure that we are moving our body and regulating our nervous system as well such a huge one I've had quite a few clients who come to me and they're trying to get pregnant but they haven't been able to for a number of reasons and one of that is because they just don't feel safe within their body and they put so much pressure on trying to get pregnant that a they're not enjoying the journey, but also because they're putting so much pressure to get pregnant, it's doing the reverse where the body feels like it can't actually hold on to the pregnancy, can't get pregnant because it doesn't feel safe within its body to do so. Um, I always think of it as kind of like manifestation. Remember, like if, if you've ever wanted something so badly, you're like reeking desperation and your body just can't hold that frequency. And it's, it's the same thing with producing a human being as well. We, you know, we are, if we're going to hold another human being, we need to also be able to hold ourselves. Yeah. It's challenging that, isn't it? When a couple wants a child or want to conceive so badly but the process is challenging and to really stay in that healthy mindset that I guess is required your is really conducive to conceiving so can we dig a little bit more into that and the kind of shame the guilt the stress perhaps that some couples might be in versus creating a really healthy mindset and healthy setting within the mind, within the body to conceive? Yes. Um, for example, 
if you're trying to conceive and you know you get your period a lot of shame can be around that being like I'm not worthy to have a baby or I'm just not a woman to be able to produce a a baby and I just don't think that's true and if we go into that our body again it goes into the scarcity mindset it dysregulates the nervous system because we don't feel safe whereas if we spin it around and we do see it as a journey and preparing in that excitement um, of having a baby then I think that's going to be a really healthy way to you know again communicate with your partner as well because again that can cause so many communication issues if you're trying for a baby um, and sometimes you can just shut the conversation down or perhaps you're putting so much focus because you're like we're only going to have sex so that we can produce this child and so when you do eventually have sexual intercourse it's like this build up of like this is when we're going to have the baby and again that's so much pressure to do Mm. you know to put on yourself one thing I did forget to mention before is also the timings we've been told that you know to all to have a baby it should be day 14 um that's not entirely true it depends on how long your cycle is so for example if you have a longer cycle perhaps you have polycystic ovarian syndrome your, and you have, if you have a 35-day cycle, then your day of ovulation is going to be much later than the day 14. And this is something as well some doctors don't actually know. So they told their, for example, their patients that actually, you know, even to get their hormone tests on that day to see what's going on. Well, if you're having your hormone tests on day 14, it's not going to pick up, again, your progesterone, your luteinizing hormone at its peak, all these kind of factors play and so you're not actually getting giving yourself a fair go because trying to have sex on a day that you're not even going to be having you know you're not even fertile not your fertile window but also you're also not seeing the clear picture of actually what's going on so you think you're the problem well actually no it's just because you're not timing it correctly as well so the more you can get to know your menstrual cycle or have a positive relationship with it the more that you can start reframing your relationship with your body your period and your menstrual cycle and I think these are all things that do help with conception and even you know making your partner aware of how things work as well because if we don't know they're not going to know either as well how it's going to work and I think the more that they can get curious about it the more it's a joint thing as well and it's not just okay well I've got to do this I've got to take these supplements or I've got to as I said focus on my diet so that it's optimized for fertility Mm. what comes up for me there is this idea of really getting to know our bodies and listening to our bodies and working with our bodies and you know we discussed this when we were talking about periods and both of us have gone through PCOS and various hormone issues and I know that when I was experiencing PCOS and wasn't getting periods and things, I was feeling like my body was working against me. And I feel like that's probably, you know, a mindset that can be very easily to slip into when you're not conceiving. It's kind of like, well, why isn't my body doing this? It's working against me. But actually what we're talking about is this really working with your body and developing that communication with how your body's feeling and seeing ourselves as, you know, our mind and our bodies being connected it being this kind of holistic instrument and not seeing it as kind of just something that's jarring with us um and getting to yeah getting to know our bodies so 
how do you think that we can open up that relationship? You know, if you're not, if you haven't kind of developed that relationship or that awareness within yourself, how do you encourage women to really start working with their bodies? Yeah, and I think that all kind of what you were saying there about that awareness, I think it all comes down to that we sub- subsequently just think that our period is it's just the purpose of our menstrual cycle and you know, our period is that fertility, yeah, that fertility piece that we're talking about and that definition. Actually, there's so much more. Our our period, our menstrual cycle is our report card of actually our health and well-being as well and so the more we can tap into it and understand the different phases of our cycle so we're not just on our period and off our period um there are actually four phases in our menstrual cycle so the more that we can track it is really good now i've been tracking my cycle for years and people may be familiar with the basal temperature where you take your temperature as soon as you wake up. So, you know, there's many that use thermometer. There's a new one that out where you wrap it around your arm. That is a good way to get started. However, using the basal temperature, this only tells you once you've ovulated. The reason being is because it it recognises when there's a rise in temperature, which only happens once we've ovulated due to the hormone progesterone increasing, which I was just speaking about a moment ago. So what this can tell us, yes, we've ovulated, but it may differ from cycle to cycle. So the more that we can get to know our cycle and track it every single month, the more that we can actually start noticing things that may affect it. Perhaps, you know, you've had a very overwhelming month that week and you may notice that your cycle is a bit longer than normal perhaps you have been exercising more and again that might be a positive or negative in terms of how you experience your period you know it could depending on the level that you're exercising it could lead to more painful periods or perhaps you know you're just doing some gentle movement and you may see actually feeling a lot more energetic and your periods have actually improved um there are so many different factors um, one of the other ways that I actually start monitoring my, my cycle and I encourage my clients to do is through the cervical fluid. So in our cycle, this um, actually changes and this is also called discharge as well. But I would just call it cervical fluid just so we can distinguish between discharge because discharge is not always cervical fluid. Discharge could be, for example, after you've had sex, you may notice that you have more discharge and that's actually because of the like the sexual secretion I would as I'm going to say is call it that is a bit different from our cervical fluid now different women experience different patterns for example some women may find that in the biggest start of their menstrual cycle they see no um, cervical fluid at all some women may see yep it's a tiny bit moist and then um, women will see during the ovulation their fertile window that they get a bit more wet so normally we say it's more like a raw eggy sensation during our ovulation this is when we have the peak hormone estrogen this is what i like to call the leading hormone it's got a very important role um What this actually causes is us to feel much more sensitive around the vulva area, so the lips. 
we're going to say here. So what you just need to do is pay attention to it. And you once you start noticing it, you will notice there's different times in your cycle where you feel a lot more wet or a little, you know, moist as well. So paying attention to those is going to be really helpful for your cycle. But also literally spending a couple of minutes every night and just connecting with yourself and be like, where's my energy levels are at? How am I feeling? Because these are also key traits, which will tell you again where you are in your cycle. And it also helps you to understand how you can respond to your energy levels as well. I always say that the, the menstrual cycle is a learning curve. So every cycle is a learning curve. It may be different, may experience it different, but we can learn so much for it. So we might not always have a wonderful period, but they they are key to understand, okay, well, what would I do differently and how can I support my health and well-being next time? And again, that goes back to our menstrual cycle not just being a sign of our fertility or using it for fertility, but also using it as, as a reference for our health and well-being as well. Yeah, like a tool to get to know ourselves and get get to know our bodies and get to, yeah, more deeply to connect to who we are and the different phases of us as women. So let's just go back to that stress piece, because from what you've said, it's really, really key within fertility. And I love how you've described stress and energy to me in the past in terms of how many gold coins or gold coupons we have left in our day, in our weeks, in our months. So can you speak to this and the concept of energy management within fertility? Yeah, so with the four different phases, there are different times where our energy levels are going to be at its peak compared to um, others. So I definitely recommend listening to our first episode that we recorded because that will dive a lot more into it. But essentially, when we're bleeding, we're going to have lower energy. When we're ovulating, we're going to be at the peak of our energy. So a lot of the time we become disconnected from our bodies. We are not actually responding to our energy and we're just on the go and we're almost pushing down and using this full sense of energy reserves that we have left. Whereas if we know where we're in our cycle, we can be like, okay, well, for example, a great example is, okay, if you're bleeding, you can be like, well, with your five coins, which ones am I going to put towards doing that task at work or seeing friends? And that means that we still have almost those reserves less in our body. And so that means that, you know, when it comes to our ovulation, we can really take advantage of the peak it has because we've rest and restored. Or, for example, the same as when we're bleeding as well. We've really given ourselves that time to just come back to ourselves and not burn ourselves out which we see all the time and a lot of the time I see with my clients is because they've been on the go especially during the ovulation time that can be the most challenging because when they go into the luteal phase in the autumn so the week just before our period they still feel like they're on their off they're still ovulating they're still in this peak so they're still running off of that so then by the time they get into the second half of their own autumn their luteal phase they almost feel like they're being pushed into this phase and that's causing physical pain it's causing them just to all they want to do is sleep they're feeling irritable and you know they just got all of these cravings because they've essentially used all of their reserves so the more that we can respond and the more that we are aware of where we are in our cycle we can start we can start 
reacting before we've even got there so we feel more of that flow and ebb going into it so it's like a gentle moving into it rather than being pushed into it I mean like what is happening here because that is the most challenging part of our cycle like that time when we experience PMS and a lot of the time we think oh it's just being a woman it's just having PMS nothing I can do well actually a lot of the time it's because we're not responding to actually what's happening from a physical point of view within our body that's having a ripple effect physically and for our soul as well Mm. yeah because it appears like you know stress is the new norm it's normal to be stressed and sometimes it's almost kind of expected or celebrated in a way I mean we don't enjoy being there but it's just how we live our lives and what I see in so many women is that they don't necessarily even think that they're stressed because they've adapted to their lifestyle to their environment and it's just you know who I am and what I do you know hearing the kind of oh I just have a busy lifestyle or you know I just have a lot of energy or you know any of these things but actually when you when you look at the way that we're living our lives how can that not be affecting our body in some kind of way so so maybe it would be helpful to just draw attention to the kind of lifestyle or activities that are actually really stressful for the mind and the body and things that might be you know big biomarkers of stress and obviously this depends from person to person depending on your resilience depending on your reaction to the activities that you're having depending on the state of your nervous system but just to give a bit of an indication if somebody's not aware of what is stressful to our bodies to our nervous system so i would say yeah obviously it does depend on the individual and i always say people have different types so there's people who need to have that energy for someone generated within themselves in the morning or you know you see those people who like to have a slow morning and that's because normally they absorb the energy from other people um essentially what i would say though is if you're experiencing period problems pain or having hormone issues it's likely that you probably have a dysregulated nervous system so anything could be triggering that because your cortisol levels are probably really skyrocketing going through the roof or it's at its all-time low which we also know to be adrenal fatigue and when it's chronic it's been going on for so long and that's when it goes from really high to really low so i would say for that you want to be stripping it right back it doesn't mean you have to be stripping it right back forever but it's just need to get your body back to feeling like again your safe word feeling it safe that you know not everything's going to be triggering it as well we've also got and I love you said earlier on um you said um some people just say oh I've got a lot of energy um well yeah that's true but we also need to be mindful of how we're using our energy so for example I have a lot of energy and that's probably what led to my burnout in my 20s. Um, I was doing all the things wrong for my nervous system and for my hormones. So I was drinking, I was living off four hours of sleep every single night. I was saying yes to every single social event. I actually thought I was a failure if I wasn't out every single night. And so that's how I was using my energy. Whereas now I use it, for example, I wake up early in the morning. That works for me personally, just because I need to go out, see the sunrise. But I also use tools and techniques such as breath work, um, 
using boundaries and saying no um, and being okay with that. Um, you know, I, I've, I've created so many routines and rituals in my life that I don't even know I'm doing it anymore, but it's listening to my body, being like, okay, well, I'm going to have an Epsom salt bath, which is full of magnesium. And again, it's going to really be supportive of my nervous system, treating myself to infrared and also responding to the energy that I have throughout my cycle, again, being okay with that. And that, a huge one for me, because I'm so active and so doing like swimming and cycling and running that comes down to as well how much intensity am I going to give so often I ask myself can I give more or do I need to do less and that's a mindset as well of asking myself okay well is this coming from my ego or is this something that is actually I can support my body with and so the more we can question it one thing I always say to my clients is before committing to a social event or before committing to you know doing a certain type of movement ask myself well how am I going to feel afterwards so that they know you know tap into that so they know whether they're going to be supporting themselves or not because for example if they've done a movement and they feel really exhausted after it's likely that they've done too much whereas if they feel more energized and that's sustained then we know that we're supporting our nervous system mm. Yeah. I mean, I can definitely also think of times in my life where I was actually working like really, really hard, long hours and then just doing hit classes. Everything was very, very yang in my life, very high energy. And I wasn't necessarily feeling tired because I, I mean, I don't know if it wasn't that if I don't know if it was that I just wasn't tuned in to my body or if it was that my nervous system and my energy was actually at such a high state that you just don't have any let up because what I'm getting from you is that it's about bringing balance back into our lives back into our bodies seeing ourselves as always going through these different cycles of energy of needs within our day-to-day within our um, within our menstrual cycle within our lives But if we're not giving ourselves the time to actually allow our nervous system to drop down, then it's very difficult to gauge what anything feels like outside of that heightened state. Does that make sense? So if you have women who are really busy, very overworked and doing all the HIIT exercise, all the kind of high levels of energy, but saying, oh, I don't feel tired or I don't feel like I need rest. Is that something that you come across with people? Literally all the time. I know so many people where I know they're working, as you said, really long hours, they're drinking a lot, they're very stressed and overwhelmed, they've got side hustles as well, and they're getting all these hormone symptoms and they're going to the doctors, not getting the answers, and they're like, oh, it's just something I've got to put up with. And you know, they're trying to seek solutions by supplementing or some other solution. But what they're not doing is seeing what's really hitting them, like right in front of them, which is their lifestyle needs to change. And a lot of women, you know, they may not want to get support because they're like, well, I don't want to have to give up this food or which again is a myth. Um, Or they think, you know, they have to have a lifestyle change. Well, if you're experiencing this, so you need this change you need to because it's going to have a long-term effect on your health but also 
look at the physical symptoms and emotional symptoms that it's causing at the moment and one of the uh, one of the things I see a lot of is physical pain but also anxiety that's a huge one and mm. it's because they're so burnt out and they're so disconnected and their cortisol levels as I said they're really skyrocketing so they don't even recognize how bad and how little energy they have it's like an example is for example remember if you've gone on holiday okay you're trying to fit so many things into your your holiday and you're like doing everything you're seeing all the sights you're going out for all the dinners and drinks and then when you get home you're like oh bloody exhausted but you've been so on the go and until you stop you don't recognize how exhausted you are and that's the same if we're doing that every single day in our life and we set up our lifestyle to be long hours of work and coming home and doing a high intensive exercise and a lot of women may find that they're not losing weight even though they're doing all of these high intensive exercises, and it's because their body won't let it because it's operating out of a fight or flight mode so it's scared to actually lose any of that weight because it's like we don't have any reserves left and it's probably shut down your digestive system so you're probably experiencing bloating or you know perhaps you're not able to go to the toilet um you know and pass the stool every morning these are all again clues on what might be going on as well but it's that disconnection we have become disconnected so that sometimes we don't even recognize it when it's obvious it's in front of our face what's happening yeah and what i'm hearing is the being open to getting to know ourselves in a different way and you know i know a lot of women who really identify with this you know well this is who i am i'm a high power businesswoman and you know I also do all of these activities and you know I have my life's very full that's who I am this is what I do but what we're saying is that if we're wanting to create a different result from what we're getting we also have to be open to the possibility that actually something might have to change and maybe the things that we have identified as being who we are and what we do we might have to review how those things sit in our lives not necessarily you know, throw in the towel, do everything differently, but actually look at kind of, well, what is serving me and what's not serving me? And yeah, just re-identify with yeah. ourselves. The the last few years I've seen a lot of business owners actually where they're so in their masculine energy and I can pick up on it straight away and I'm like, they're literally gonna burn themselves out. And they almost I, there's there's two clear examples I can think of recently where I could see it happening before they even saw it themselves. And the next thing they're like, oh, I'm really sick. I've got all these hormone issues or I've got adrenal fatigue. Masculine energy isn't bad in itself, but we need to have that balance. It's a balancing act between the two. So we need to go between the two. Yeah, masculine energy to get things done, to be more assertive, but we need that feminine to be more intuitive, slow down. I almost feel like it's like a project. So masculine energy to do and then at the end of the project what do you do well you reflect that's your feminine energy and so we should be doing it the same way that we we've been taught in all of these models um in so many projects or marketing campaigns you know everything is cyclical and that's the same with our lives we are cyclical as well Mm. and I know for me that when I really had to connect to these more yin restful aspects of myself through trying to fix my own hormone cycle it felt really strange in the beginning because it wasn't what I was used to but what I say to you know people now is that it really feels like this coming home to self 
Do you find that as well? That in the beginning, people think, oh, this feels a bit forced. This feels a bit alien. This isn't who I am. But actually then it feels like we are coming back home to ourselves on a deeper level because we're returning to a natural state of ebb and flow within ourselves. Yeah, um, when I was experiencing my hormone issues and my period went missing for nine months, I it took me, it was upon my first yoga, I think I spoke about it in your podcast, but it was upon my first yoga class that I got my period back and that was my wake-up call. But I almost say that the, the yoga was my saving grace because it allowed that space to connect with myself. And literally when I do yoga, I, I literally could cry some days because I feel that connection is so so strong and allowing, you know, I'm, I'm doing the yoga. Yeah, I may be doing it in a studio with other people, but at that time it's just me, my mat, and me being curious with my body and even my mind as well. And... I feel that's the same with any self-care practices that we put in place. It's coming on home and it's being comfortable with that. Sometimes when we can't do these routines or rituals or we say that we don't have time, it's because we feel uncomfortable. Now, you probably know this, Megan, in your line of expertise, but we do know as well when people are experiencing trauma or anxiety that also they can't actually stay still so if that's happening and you can't sit still or perhaps you're doing meditation you're like it's just not for me do something like you know do meditation when you're walking or do lay down but you know every so often actually um you know actually wriggle your toes your fingers because that's going to support you during that time when you're trying to come back to your body but you may be struggling because you're not used to being still all the time Mm. Yeah. What was coming up for me there was when we are going against our what our body's trying to communicate with us, we're essentially eroding our sense of trust within ourselves because we're not listening to our bodies. But when we're coming back into this balance that you're talking about, our bodies can kind of feel safe within ourselves again we're actually listening and we're creating this relationship of our bodies giving us signals we're responding we're giving our bodies what we need and there we're generating the safety within our bodies that you spoke about at the beginning of this conversation and it's that safety piece that we're really needing to bring in to our bodies if we're trying to conceive Mm, absolutely no spot on absolutely yeah and I think from that is trusting ourselves is again when we create that space we're also tapping into our intuition and our intuition is what's going to keep us safe as well Mm, yeah beautiful so can we just speak now a little bit to these short-term and longer-term management tools for stress that you use with clients yes so uh the most obvious ones that we you know we hear about is meditation or um gentle movement like yoga and pilates and things like that now what i would say is these could be used as long-term tools and techniques however it's how we're using it okay so if we're very very stressed and we're like okay well i'm going to go to yoga just to you know, chill out or go on a retreat after i've had a heavy week at work and or i've just gone on all these parties that's a short, short-term fix okay what we want to be doing is tapping into it and using that to support our nervous system, support our hormones, because it's we're doing it consistently. You don't have to be doing it every day, but we're doing it consistently to support us. If we're using it because we already feel like we 
are drained within our bodies and we know that we're using these tools as a buffer okay now I've again had a lot of clients who come to me and they're like I'm trying to put all these routines and rituals in and you know for the long-term benefit but what I'm finding is it's quite I feel flat from it I feel like the routines and the rituals are just becoming something that I have to do and I'm not enjoying it it goes back to us being a cyclical being. So every day we're going to be feeling different in our energy. Our moods are going to be different. So what I recommend is changing your routines and rituals and your self-care practices is what's going to change it for you. So as I said, when I'm bleeding, I like to have an Epsom salt bath because of the benefits of the magnesium. But I also know that's going to, I'm going to have a lovely cup of tea with it, maybe read a book, and that's going to be my time as well. So that's me turning it into a routine or ritual during that specific time. Whereas in my ovulation, for me, my self-care ritual, what do I, oh, I'm just having a think, what do I do in my self-care ritual? As I told you, so, it's so in my subconscious now. My self-care ritual during that time is even the food that I eat, that's the self-care ritual. So during that time, I want to be having something a bit lighter, a bit more raw food um, and nourishing my body still during my ovulation but for me, food is a self-care ritual as well. I know that, for example, if I'm going to eat food that is processed or it's not going to make me feel good afterwards, and I have such, I love food so much, so that's not going to work. I know that's going to actually, add, you know, irritate me and cause issues because I feel like I'm going to, you know, it's going to spike my blood sugars, things like that. So it's understanding what does our self-care ritual looks like for us and how what do we perceive it as but also changing it up depending what our energy is what our mood is as well but also understanding are we using it as a buffer or are we using it as a long-term strategy Mm, yeah I love that it's kind of not just using these stress reduction methods to cope with how much we're pushing ourselves the rest of the time a great example of this actually is I met a woman and she had a very high powered job she was working as a lawyer but she did yoga twice a day okay so someone could be like like might be like oh wow you have an amazing self-care ritual routine you know moving your body because you're doing yoga so it must be good for you No, it's likely that she has such a dysregulated nervous system that she's having to do that to bring it right down. And so, again, we know that's a buffer. That's not a long term strategy. Mm, Yeah, super interesting. So lastly, and I find this interesting as well, is just bringing attention to stories that we might have taken on from other people, because there's a lot of narrative around conceiving fertility within society. It might be coming from parents or from friends or stories that you've taken on of kind of intergenerational trauma around fertility um, or even your own trauma of past events that you've made mean certain things about yourself or your ability to conceive. Can you talk a little bit about your observations there? Yeah, there's two different experiences I'd like to share. So the first one being is comments and something that me and my friends all talk about actually is the pressure. Now, you know, now I'm in my 30s, I need to start thinking about having a baby. And yes, our fertility does start to decline 13 years before 
you know, menopause um, onsets. However, there is also lots of success stories where women, if they know their body, they know when they're ovulating, they go on to have a perfectly healthy baby and get pregnant within a matter of weeks or months. Um, So I think that is definitely something, you know, a lot of women feel like we have to have a baby because of society or, you know, we often get that awkward question of being like, when you have a baby, if you get married or as soon as you move in with your boyfriend. And I think at the end of the day, you need to do what's right for you and what you want, but also don't have that pressure because if you're having a baby because of your age, that may not benefit you in the long term because perhaps you're having it outside perfect well there's never going to be perfect situations but you're having it outside of when you actually desire so I think that's one of the most important thing is really tapping into that and owning wherever you are um and just being okay with that the other thing is ancestral trauma okay I see this a lot in my clients a lot of the time it's a running theme perhaps that their mother had miscarriages or were unable to get pregnant and even their grandmother had miscarriages or weren't able to get pregnant either or had a lot more difficulty now this is proven by science when we are in the womb of our mother we're essentially also sharing the same DNA as our grandmother because when your mother was conceived by your grandmother, the eggs, were she had all of the eggs, which we were one of the eggs. So if, for example, if your grandmother were experiencing a lot of anxiety or perhaps she had a miscarriage somewhere, that DNA is going to get imprinted on us. That's where what we mean by ancestry trauma and carrying it is it's actually being imprinted in our DNA. And it's for us to actually be like, this is no longer my story. I'm going to cut it. And this is no, not a part of me because it's like anything. If we start to believe this story, then our body believes it because our body doesn't know the difference between actually what is reality or what is our thoughts really of what is actually happening. That's really important. And so, it, again, this has been the theme of all of this thing. It's making sure we're safe within our body. If we think that we're not going to be able to get pregnant because our mother had very difficulty or had a miscarriage, we're going to be carrying that fear within our body. And so that can become almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, mm. I think that's really important is, yeah, not going into the stories or like that's the same if you've been told you've got PCOS that's the same thing you've been given a label so you start being, to believe that you can't get pregnant because of that that's not entirely true so if you if you feed into that it's that is what you're telling your body and your body starts to believe well actually you're not going to be able to get yeah. pregnant yeah and we're defined by our beliefs around these things do you have any case study examples of women who have really cut their relationship with a certain belief pattern or belief system and then that's opened up something new for them yeah um I recently had a client who again ancestry trauma who experienced that had experienced miscarriages now we took a holistic approach where we were helping with her gut 
but also we're also having to address the trauma and making her feel safe as well. And so my approach really is focusing on the nervous system supporting it. Um, and there was a number of tools and techniques we used, but it was a whole process. It's not an overnight thing. And it does require us to really believe it as well and so that's where the tools and techniques really help to make ourselves feel safe but um she's been trying to get pregnant has some miscarriages but actually she's pregnant as well which is very exciting because she had this belief that miscarriages was something that was in her family as Mm. well Mm. I had one client who was having difficult trying to get pregnant and when we looked at it it was like she was doing everything she was doing you know her diet was amazing her nervous system was amazing in terms of you know she was cutting everything out that was stressful her life she on paper it looked amazing but when we dove dive deeper into it what we discovered was actually that she had an abortion when she was younger and so her belief was and she was still holding on to it was that she wasn't deserving to have a baby because of the abortion that she had when she was a teenager and so this is a great example of like how our past experiences can still be very much present in our belief system now and so if that is happening that's where I think addressing trauma or experiences and really reflecting on this really helps rather than just looking at the nutrition side of things um, because these are all things that does affect our nervous system and our ability to get pregnant as well. Yeah and I think that maybe I mean my takeaway from that is that our beliefs and our reactions or beliefs or decisions from past events don't have to define us for the future that it's actually something that we get to take charge of and identify and when it comes from our periphery vision kind of in our periphery consciousness or our subconscious and then we are able to identify what our beliefs or decisions are it's actually something that we get to take our power back and decide whether that is a story whether that's a decision or belief that we want to carry and what we actually want to create for ourselves, creating that sense of safety, creating that sense of worthiness and deservingness. And from that place, it goes back to that healthy mindset that you were talking about of arriving at that healthy mindset to conceive and to create what you want. I think something you just said as well is something that I would say to my clients as well. When we're feeling helpless or we feel that we have things that are controlling us, a key question I always ask, it's very simple but powerful, how can I take my power back? Mm. I love that. And I think that it's so relevant, you know, with this whole conversation of feeling when we are hormonally dysregulated or when we're struggling within the area of our cycles or fertility, we do feel like it is something happening to us. The body's working against us. And it's something that, yeah, really encourages a sense of helplessness and powerlessness. But from this conversation, you know, how can I take my power back? And looking at what it is that we can do, you know, what are the small things that we can take our power back in and then move forward from that sense of ownership, from that sense of agency. Absolutely. All right, my love. So is there anything else that you would like to bestow on anybody listening? Anything else you want to share? Um, otherwise, just an invitation for you to talk about ways to work with you, offerings that you have. 
Yeah, I think the key takeaway message is that if you are struggling to conceive or you're going on a journey to heal your fertility or whatever that looks like, is not to accept the label that you've been given, but actually investigate and take back your power. Again, that power word, take back your power um, and be the one responsible for your your health and your well-being and putting yourself in the priority seat. Mm. So you can find me at So Tremendous over on Instagram. I'm also about to launch my fertility awareness method consultation. So this is all about tracking your cycle to conceive or to use it as contraception method. And I'm also launching my perpetual period um, group program again, which is all about how to experience a happy, healthier period in 90 days as well, which is accessible online. Awesome. All right, my love. Well, thanks so much. This conversation, there's so much goodness in here. So really grateful for you sharing all of your guidance and wisdom with us again. Thank you so much. If you want to continue the conversation with Sophia following this episode, all of her information is available within the show notes. You're also very welcome to get in touch with me via my website, higher-love.com or via my Instagram, higherlove underscore with Megan. I'd love to hear if this episode supported you or what fresh insight, information or inspiration it gave you. As always, big love and see you next time.